each week, um, we get this opportunity with brothers and sisters in Christ to lift praise to God. We praise through song, we praise through giving, we praise through sitting at Jesus' table together. And we get to praise as we open God's word together. And I'm just so excited to be a part of it today. This week we're going to continue our brief conversation about the hope of Jesus. Last week we spent time talking about how the hope of Jesus offers Freedom. Freedom from the burdens and sins and experiences and thoughts and systems that draw us away from the goodness and greatness of God. We talked through this miracle in John chapter 5, and we said that miracles have a way of reminding us of Jesus' identity and Jesus' intentions. And this week, this week we're going to lean into the topic of hope again. But we'll look at it through a slightly different lens. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Listen, if you don't have a Bible to call yours, we have some in the back. We'd love for you to take one home, keep it, write your name in it, highlight in it, whatever you do with your Bible. Mine's more like a workbook. Um, but if you need a Bible, please grab one and take one have it as your own. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35 this week. And as we open up Luke's gospel and get ready to read this story about healing, I want us to lean in and pay attention for the needs of this man who is going to be healed. I want us to be on the lookout for what he is really searching for. So Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35, this is what God's word says. As he, Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him telling him to be silent. But he cried out, All the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well, and immediately, immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is God's word for us today. Did you see this? Did you see how, how the needs of this man shifted as Jesus came into the picture? Did, did we catch what he's really searching for? I mean, if we go through Scripture, we could say that, oh, he was searching for money. Maybe he was searching for Jesus' attention or maybe searching for healing, but I would say that it goes a little bit deeper than that. I would say that this man is searching for the hope that only Jesus can provide. 
You see, everything changes. Everything changes when, when Jesus starts passing by. Everything in this man's life shifts. The anticipation of Jesus approaching, the thought that he was close enough to actually hear his voice. The fact that Jesus' reputation had certainly preceded him here in, Jer- in Jericho is evident. So this blind man hears of Jesus passing by and everything changes. Which leads us to our big idea of the passage this morning. The hope of Jesus draws out our need for Jesus. The the hope of Jesus draws out our need for Jesus. The hope of Jesus amplifies our need. The hope of Jesus pushes our need for Jesus to the forefront. Here's the deal. If we don't believe that Jesus is our hope, then we will not understand our need for Jesus. If we don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, we will not buy into our need for Jesus. If, if, we don't, if we don't believe that Jesus does what he says he's going to do, we won't be remotely interested in a relationship with him. But if we do, if we do believe that Jesus is the hope, that Jesus is love, that that Jesus is grace, that he is truth, that he is the redeemer, that he is the Messiah, that Jesus is who he says he is and does what he says he's going to do, then how could we not need Jesus? This morning, I want us to spend time talking through this story using three different words. Three different words. That's it. That's all you need to remember this morning. Three different words. That's it. That's all. Persistence, presence, not Christmas presence, but being the presence with someone else, and purpose. Persistence, presence, and purpose. So where does persistence show up in our story this morning? Verses 35 through 39, right? The scene is set with Jesus. This caravan is coming into Jericho on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And Luke, Luke is careful to note something about our man in the story. He says that he is a blind man begging by the side of the road. He, he, he does, does a careful job not to label him as a beggar. Luke is careful not to label him by his action, but by his need. He is begging. And then this blind man hears a crowd coming and then going by and begins to ask anyone that's around, what this means. Someone replies that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. What? The, the Jesus of Nazareth? You, the, the, Jesus, the same Jesus who had, who had just recently healed ten lepers at the same time? That, that Jesus, that's the Jesus we're talking about here? The Jesus, the Jesus that that healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, that Jesus, the same Jesus that had healed Lazarus, raised him from the dead. We're talking about that Jesus. That Jesus is passing by right now. Well, then I better get his attention. Because I know that he could do something like that for me. The blind man begins to call out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now this title, Son of David, simply means Messiah, which means that while he does not see Jesus, he knows who he is. The crowd begins to hush him. They rebuke him. They tell him to be quiet. Stay over there. 
be quiet. You might, might get in the way of something that we might miss him saying or teaching as he walks by. Be quiet. But the blind man cries out even more. He's shouting. He's screaming repeatedly for Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. See, he thought this was going to be his life. He thought sitting on the side of the road was it. This is what it's come to. You ever been there? Where you feel like your current circumstances will be your forever circumstances? I mean, I get that way every time I have a cold. (laughs) I don't know. It just seems our eight-year-old does the same thing too. When's this cold going to be over? It's like, we have the same symptoms. This man thought it was it. He's like, I'm sitting here on the side of the road, begging. This is what my life is. Until he heard that Jesus was passing by. You see, as soon as Jesus came into the picture, his entire world changed. His perspective changed. His outlook changed. His demeanor changed. His need changed. He no longer needed the coins of people passing by. No, he needed the attention of the Savior. Because he was sure that if he were to get to Jesus, Jesus would care for him with compassion and mercy. He was sure that if he could get to Jesus, he would be able to see Jesus. So he cries out to Jesus. And this first attempt, this this Greek word means to call out. It means to use your outdoor voice. You ever have your parents tell you to use your indoor voice, but they yell it to you in an outdoor voice, and it's like, I'm confused. This is what it means to use your outdoor voice. He wanted Jesus to hear him, to see him, to notice him. It's like we're at a parade. And there's there's the fire truck of candy coming by. And your kids freak out like if you've never seen candy or that it doesn't cost eight cents at the store. So you get a half-melted Tootsie Roll for your screaming and yelling. Or maybe it's like being at the Illini football game. I remember the first and last football game I went to with one Randy Boltinghouse. (laughs) Some of you already know where this is going. You're like, your personalities don't match to be at a game together. Amen. So, Randy and Sarah had gotten some football tickets for Ohio State, Illinois. Now, Stephanie and I were fairly new in town, so they invited Stephanie plus one, so I got to come with. And we were there with with Randy and Sarah and their friends, Ken and Patty, whom they're visiting this weekend in Ohio. We were sitting there, and out comes the T-shirt cannon. All right, fans, on your feet for the T-shirts. Well, I didn't know. Or maybe it's better to say Randy didn't know this about me, but I needed that free T-shirt. So I'm standing up and screaming and shouting and waving, trying to get their attention, trying to be noticed. That's what our man is doing here, but the crowd gets in the way. I didn't get that T-shirt. Someone else did. They begin to rebuke him, and they try to silence him. This makes him cry out again to Jesus. Now, the second time, this is a different word than what appears earlier in our passage. See, the word cried out before means, means to, to say hello, right? To, to call out to someone. This, this, the structure of this verb means to shout and scream repeatedly. Son of David, have mercy on me. 
This is no longer just an outdoor voice, but a referee made a bad call voice. It's a voice that is set to gain attention. It's a voice of desperation. It's a voice that is in dire need. It's a voice that is not going to let the crowd disrupt it. It's a voice that desperately wants to encounter Jesus. And no circumstance, no crowd is going to hinder this opportunity or silence his trust and belief in the hope that is Jesus. This is persistence. This is persistence. So I ask a question here of us. What hinders us? What holds us back from crying out to Jesus? What what silences our trust or belief in the hope of Jesus? What, what smashes or, or squashes our persistence? Is it, is it circumstances? Is it, is it the crowd, maybe? I think our circumstances and our crowds can, can distract us and deter us from a focused life on Jesus and the hope that he brings and the need that we have for him. But I think the real threat to our persistence towards Christ is self-reliance. You see, self-reliance stifles our need for Jesus. It, it stifles our persistence in Jesus' direction. Now, self-reliance is not the same as being confident in who we are and who God created us to be. It, self-reliance is not hard-working. It's not the same as being sure that God has equipped us to do His work. No, self-reliance is where we try to be our own substitute Savior. It's where we neglect the need of Jesus. And we focus all our attention on how we can identify and solve whatever comes into view by ourselves with our own limited resources, with our own limited knowledge. This is not the blind man's problem, but I think it's the person in the mirror's problem. See, the blind man's persistence His his persistent calling for Jesus parallels his relentless need for Jesus. It's in this man's crying out for Jesus that his faith is being made evident. This man's needs are, are not for a handout, but it's a need for healing. It's a need for restoration, a need for recovery, a need for sight. You see, his need, his persistence, drove him relentlessly into the presence of Jesus. Verses 40 through 42. Jesus stops this caravan on the way to Jerusalem. He stops. And he commands that the crowd that was once hindering now become helpers. I love that. I love that so much. That's just... That's the youngest brother in me. I just love when, you know, the justice is served. And so they're, they're hindering him. Now Jesus is like, wait. No, I need you to bring him to me. And as the blind man approaches, Jesus asks him this very, very pastoral question. What do you want me to do for you? This question is one of intrigue. As we learned last week, Jesus doesn't ask questions to reveal answers, but to reveal something much deeper. So what is Jesus seeking out of this man? He's seeking to know his heart, his his motives, his beliefs, his convictions about who Jesus is and what is his real need. See, Jesus asks this man this question to draw out his faith in front of this crowd. 
because the crowd may be interested in what Jesus is saying, but the blind man is interested in what Jesus can do. So Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Right? It's, it's, where do you want me to lean in? What drives you to call after me repeatedly? What, how can I help you? you? What does mercy look like to you, right? You, you called out for mercy. What does that look like to you? And the blind man says to Jesus, Lord, let me recover my sight. Literally, the phrase is, let me see. Jesus replies to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. See, church, in the presence of Jesus is where hope is found. It's where healing happens. It's where restoration begins. It's where the old has gone and the new has come. In the presence of Jesus is where conversations become conversions. In the presence of Jesus is where hopelessness becomes hopeful. It's where brokenness is mended. It's where lost becomes found. It's where worthless becomes valued. It's where silence becomes heard. presence of Jesus, love, grace, compassion, and mercy are no longer far away concepts. They're deeply felt connections. Now it's worth noting about this man, about our friend this morning, that he calls Jesus to heal him. He does not go into his backstory He does not play the role of the victim. He does not stammer or beg or flatter in his request. He doesn't justify his right to be healed, but he simply says what is necessary and confidently leaves the rest to Jesus. And Jesus commands his eyes to be open. He he commands this ailment to be healed. He speaks, and this man's eyes are open to a world that starts with meeting the Savior face to face getting to see the face of compassion and hope, love and acceptance, and the face of mercy. Now this phrase, your faith has made you well, is one that is repeated after Jesus, after people have gone through great lengths to get to Jesus because of their belief that he can heal or satisfy their needs. Luke 8, Jesus encounters a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And the moment she fights through the crowd and touches his garment, She's healed. Jesus says to her in Luke 8, 48, he says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Luke 17, right? Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, right? It's the same journey. He's approached by ten lepers who have been cast out of society. They said, Lord, have mercy on us. They have the same request as our man here this morning. Lord, have mercy on us. Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest, and on their journey, on their journey, they're cleansed. One of them returns and thanks Jesus and is bowing before him, and he says, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. These corresponding stories of Jesus' mercy and healing are a testimony to the power of Jesus and to the faith of these individuals. Jesus certainly has power and authority, the grace, the love, and the mercy, but do we bring the faith to the conversation? Faith is the state of believing based on the reliability of the one trusted. Let me say that again. That should have been written down. That was good. 
It's not my definition. That's why it was good. Faith is the state of believing based on the reliability of the one trusted. It's trusting that Jesus can do something and that Jesus can do anything. It's in the presence of Jesus that the man's faith is made obvious. You see, in his persistence, it's made evident. Now in this conversation with the Savior, it's being made obvious. Trusting Jesus with the biggest obstacles and life's smallest stumbling blocks. It's trusting Jesus with life's biggest decisions and all the little ones too. It's trusting Jesus in the middle of the fiery furnace as Pharaoh's army is approaching, as sickness abounds, as conflict rises. Trusting in Jesus in the joy times and in the sorrowful times. Jesus says, your faith has made you well. It's Jesus saying, listen, your trust in me has paid off. Your hope in me is not empty. Your belief in me does not run void. In the presence of Jesus is where hope is displayed, healing happens, and the purpose of life begins to shift. Persistence, presence, purpose. Verse 43, Jesus says to the man, recover your sight, your faith has made you well, and immediately, not not the next day, not the next hour, not go wash and see, no, immediately, he was able to see, and he started following Jesus. He joins the caravan to Jerusalem for Passover. Maybe this would be his first Passover ever. And through it all, he is glorifying God. And the people around him, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. Now, unlike last week in our study through John 5, we don't know the details of how long this man had been suffering from this physical ailment. We don't know the severity of it, how long he's dealt with it, if he was born like this or if he suffered an injury. We only know that this man had surrendered to the life of begging outside of Jericho with the hopes to make ends meet. Little did he know that on that day he was going to meet his hope. See, while we do not know the severity of his blindness, we know the completeness of his healing. Luke uses this word immediately, and it shows up ten times in his gospel alone. And of the nine of the ten times, they're in reference to, to healing that Jesus has done. The immediate timetable shows the power of Jesus' mercy and the authority of Jesus' words. And then scripture tells us, and he followed him. He recovered his sight and he followed. His life has changed. His life is different. Life is literally being seen through a different perspective. Light is flooding in where darkness used to be normal. The healed man's response of following Jesus, it's not a surprise ending to this story. But it is a validation of his faith in Jesus and how his new life journey with Jesus is going to look. He leaves behind any belongings, maybe his cup of change, a cloak he might have been wearing. Also that he can join the caravan on the way to Jerusalem. 
He leaves his life of blindness and begging for a new life of fullness and following. He leaves the comfort of what is known to embrace the comfort of the Savior. There's a sermon to preach to ourselves, isn't it? This man does not ask any questions. He does not ask for directions. He simply follows. And his praise cannot be contained. Scripture tells us that he was glorifying God. The term used for glorifying was a term that was used to influence others' opinions about someone else. He's praising and honoring and exalting God through his entire being, and he's helping those around him to do the exact same thing. He's testifying of God's goodness through Jesus' mercy, and he wants everyone to know. We see Jesus use this term glory in Matthew 5, 16 when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, he says this, in the same way like a lamp on a stand or a city on a hill, in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This man is letting his light shine. He's letting his life shine because of the miraculous work that Jesus has done for his life. Praise is not meant to be held in. Praise is meant to be shouted about. It's in this man's life now spent following Jesus and glorifying God where his faith is now put on display. The bookends of this story are super interesting to me. Because when we first encounter this blind man on the side of the road, he's shouting to gain the attention of Jesus. He's he's shouting, he's crying out repeatedly, Son of David, have mercy on me. He's shouting to gain the attention of the Savior the story ends as the healed man is raising his voice in adoration so that others will now see Jesus as he does. The hope of Jesus draws out our need for Jesus. So how do we take this home? How do we take this this need of Jesus' hope? How do we take this home? How do we take this to work? How do we take this to school? I think we need to ask a question of ourselves. One question. The question is, where in my life do I need to acknowledge my need for Jesus? And I know what you're thinking. Justin. Justin everywhere. Right. Good job. The problem is is we don't do that. So let's sit down and let's have some internal conversations over the next 12 hours with ourselves and say where in my life do I need to acknowledge my need for Jesus? See maybe for you today maybe you're struggling with doubt about who Jesus is. I mean, can Jesus really be this great? Can, can Jesus really be the hope that my life has been longing for? Maybe that's, maybe that's your struggle that you're entering with today. Maybe you're struggling with value. 
You're thinking that your current or your past circumstances should keep you from the presence of Jesus. Maybe you're struggling through self-reliance and believing only in yourself has left you feeling incredibly alone. Maybe you're struggling with brokenness or self-righteousness or a sin that we've been carrying for far too long or a burden that we've been carrying that we don't need to carry anymore. The question still applies. Where in my life do I need to acknowledge? Where in my life do I need to recognize? Where in my life do I need to accept, embrace, declare, or confess my persistent need for Jesus? Because if we do believe that Jesus is the hope, if we do believe that Jesus is love, that Jesus is grace, that he is truth, that he is the redeemer, that he is the Messiah, that he is who he says he is and does what he says he's going to do, then how could we not need Jesus in every corner of our lives? I'm not sure what you're carrying in with you today. I'm not sure what you'll face tomorrow. But I know that whatever burden or whatever brokenness or whatever baggage, or whatever battle you are going through, or going to face. Jesus has already won. That's why, that's why hope in Jesus makes sense. That's why we hope in Jesus. Not because we think we can, we can build ourselves up, or Jesus is just another, another accolade on our life. Well, I'm a Christian. And we follow Jesus and we need for Jesus because he's already won. You know, we spent time talking about the persistence of the man and our need for persistence. But this wouldn't be a very good message if we didn't talk about the persistence of Jesus. How Jesus chases us down each and every moment of each and every day, reminding us of his victory. Reminding us that he's already won. And that's why our hope belongs with Christ and Christ alone. My prayer for us today is that we would be a people that would acknowledge our need for Jesus in every corner of our lives. And that we would worship and praise like this man, that we would praise unhindered as those who already have victory because of Christ. I'm going to pray for us. Our band's going to come back up, and we're going to sing a song about the victory that we have because of Jesus. Let's pray.